Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Rick Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer your medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Good to be back. Yes, so happy to have you here. Yes. Our Prairie Doc topic this week <laughs> is the ear, nose, and throat. Yeah, yeah. So the, the this is kind of a subspecialty area, but I, I think people are commonly affected by ailments of the ear, nose, and throat, so mm-hmm. I think it'll be a great show. Um, we're going to have Dr. Tom Tamura, who's from Midwest Ear, Nose, and Throat, and he's actually our person who does outreach here locally in Brookings. He does surgery in Brookings, um, and he's great. So I think he'll be a great guest, and we'll see if we can learn some stuff about the ear, nose, and throat, including including surgical things. So, you know, common things like tubes in the ears or sinus surgery or tonsil surgery, stuff like that. These are common things that our otolaryngologists do. Ah, yes. Very good. (laughs) Um, It feels like with the ear, nose, and throat, like you said, if you are having an issue, you notice it and it it bothers you. Right, right. There are so many of these conditions that aren't necessarily life-threatening medical conditions, but you're right. There there are things that uh, are so symptomatic and bothersome to people that people commonly seek care for them either with their primary care or urgent care clinics or with the specialists so i always find it interesting that ear nose and throat go together right (laughs) like my ears are very different than my nose (laughs) but um, but they're all connected and i you know that's that's sort of part of the interesting anatomy and i was thinking this laura i'm glad you brought this up because i think i'll try to make sure we have some good anatomical figures to show on for visuals on the show Mm -hmm. Um, because you're right the eustachian tubes from the middle ear drain into the back of your throat and so um and and the the nasal cavity is all connected with the throat in the in the nasopharynx oropharynx so um These are all connected and they're sort of common things about them as far as what causes problems and that kind of thing. So, yeah. I started a new eye drop this week and I can taste it. It's so crazy. Like putting this drop in my eye and then I can, (laughs) a little bit later, I can taste it going down the back of my throat. I'm like, this is so bizarre. Yeah. The tubes that drain the water from your eyes also drain into the back of that sort of nasal cavity, which goes into your throat. So you're right. All of these structures in our face um, and, and that external part of our skull are kind of connected so yeah yeah (laughs) yeah fascinating topic well listeners if you have questions regarding the ear nose or throat or any other medical question we have dr kelly evans here ready to answer our questions we will go to our first break shortly we thank you for listening to prairie doc radio on kbrk and on our podcast call us now at 605-692-1430 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Did you know that someone in the United States has a heart attack every 40 seconds? A heart attack happens when a part of the heart muscle doesn't get enough blood. 
you might hear a heart attack called an MI, or myocardial infarction. The more time that passes without treatment to restore blood flow, the greater the damage to the heart muscle. If you have pain in your chest, call for help. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Our Prairie Doc topic today is the ear, nose, and throat, but we're happy to answer any questions you may have. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, we are hoping for more spring-like weather very soon and with Gosh, that comes I know with <laughs> that comes some of these allergy issues. Yeah. Um, what do we need to think about or be aware of when it comes to allergies? Yeah, so spring is a really common time here to see people struggling with what we call allergic rhinitis or symptoms kind of on the spectrum of any allergies that's causing you the stuffy nose, the extra running in mucus. The watery eyes is kind of part of the same syndrome and that kind of thing. Um, so super common in the spring and fall, especially as the trees start to bud. And especially, you know, some we've had some days that are so dry and windy, like, you know, Saturday here, I, my, my kids exited the house and we had to come right back in because they said, I can't open my eyes, mom. Yes. <laughs> um, so this is really common. What I tell people is, you know, you can be allergic to anything. And certainly there are some people who go get allergy testing that really suffer just because you could have desensitization or sometimes it's more helpful for other types of indoor allergies to figure out, are you allergic to a certain subset of animals that you could actually avoid? Well, Mm. that, you know, if you're, if you're going to live in South Dakota, avoidance isn't always an option, right? If for some of these outdoor allergies. So there's basic things that everything can do that are very safe if you have problems with allergies, especially if it's just seasonal. So commonly people will use antihistamines. So these are over-the-counter allergy pills. Um, And so histamine is a chemical released by one of your types of white blood cells that are involved in allergies and it kind of just swells everything up. So histamine is is responsible for a lot of these allergy um, symptoms that we get. So antihistamines over the counter are like um, cetirizine or the brand name Zyrtec, loratadine or the brand name Claritin, um, or fexofenadine or the brand name Allegra are the ones that we typically recommend um, this, this time of year. The other, the an old allergy pill, diphenhydramine or Benadryl, it will help the symptoms, but just has way more side effects. So mm. makes people sleepy, can interact with other medications, makes your mouth really dry. So I try to tell people to avoid using that for daily use. But those allergy pills can be helpful and are generally very safe for, for the vast majority of people to take every day, whether it's seasonal or year-round. People usually are pretty attuned to that. The thing that I find people don't use as commonly but is also very safe as effective are nasal steroid sprays. So these are things like, excuse me, the generic one that you can just get, these are all over the counter now as well, is fluticasone. Um, But the old brand names are Flonase or Nasacort or anything along that spectrum. Um, it should be equivalent. These basically, so steroids decrease inflammation in general. And so these kind of decrease inflammation anywhere they touch. And so when you're spraying it up your nostrils, obviously that should decrease nasal congestion. Um, but if you, if you, I tell people, if you inhale deeply enough, it's going to decrease inflammation in the tubes that drain your sinuses. It's going to decrease inflammation in the eustachian tubes that drain the middle ears. So some people who have a lot of ear popping and that ear pressure sensation, this is sort of standard treatment 
treatment for and that kind of thing. And really minimal side effects as well. Some people don't really like to use the nasal sprays, find it unpleasant or whatever. But as far as systemic steroid side effects, you shouldn't get any. It just affects where it touches. So those are sort of standard things that you could probably do if you're struggling this time of year. Okay. And they can be used together. Uh, with the antihistamine, you mentioned, you know, specifically the Benadryl might have interactions with others, with the other other medications, with mm-hmm. the other antihistamines. Um, do you need to check with your doctor? Do you need to check with a pharmacist to make sure you're okay to you know, mix if that you, in? If you take a lot of medications, it's never a bad idea to run it by the pharmacist who has your full list of medications. But generally speaking, there aren't a lot of big offenders as far as medication interactions with these medic- th- these ones. So for the vast majority of people, I'd say safe to use without consulting if you're struggling with allergies. And how long is it okay to be taking an antihistamine? I would say there are a lot of people who use these year-round. I mean, if they have year-round allergies, they're pretty safe. Um, There's not necessarily a duration that makes it unsafe, I would say. Okay. People can rarely have side effects, especially if they take other meds that can have similar side effects, and especially if you're elderly, um, just because of drug metabolism. So, um, you know, if you take a lot of other medications or anything like that, again, bring it up next time you see your doctor. But if you're acutely struggling this time of year, I think pretty safe for most people to just go and buy a pack over the counter and start with them. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you're taking those for, I don't know how, I don't know how fast you get relief. If it's four or five days, you're not finding relief. Mm -hmm. Is it perhaps worth coming in to check if it's something else going yeah, on. Yeah. Okay. And I think the other thing about this is it's it can be confusing if you have new symptoms. Is this allergies or is it infection? Because mm-hmm. certainly upper respiratory infections of all kinds, including, as we know, COVID-19 and all kinds can cause kind of similar symptoms. Right. So, I mean, a lot of people know, you know, that the difference in symptoms. If you're having like a lot of the like the itchy eyes and sort of that irritation and sneezing and stuff like that, that's maybe trends more toward allergies than infection. But if it's just kind of the congestion and running, sometimes it's confusing to know if it's only been going on a few days. So mm-hmm. never never bad to get that checked out if if it's worthwhile as far as worrying about conf- contagion and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I wanted to ask you, Dr. Evans, about your Prairie Doc essay this week focusing yeah. on smokeless tobacco. Uh, let's talk about smokeless tobacco Tobacco, and what mm-hmm. are some of the dangers of using smokeless tobacco? Yeah. So smokeless tobacco, meaning, you know, what we would commonly call chewing tobacco, but also, you know, more accurately, people will use the pouches and stuff like that now. Um so this it's been around for a long time obviously I comment in the essay about chewing tobacco in popular culture and sports and all of these really visible figures historically um and certainly it hasn't gotten quite as much attention as smoking tobacco so mm-hmm. cigarette smoking when it comes to dangers to your health and probably because it's not quite as commonly so dangerous as smoking but it definitely has its own set of concerns um the big ones that i would say are the so some dental concerns so i'm you know if you chew tobacco your your dental hygienist and your dentist is going to know it probably because you'll have some receding gums that are early and some dental decay that's more common so getting those regular dental checkups really important for anyone um, who uses smokeless tobacco and then the other big things are you know those carcinogens in that smokeless tobacco they touch all the surfaces of the mouth and sometimes the upper part of the throat and so that can set you up for a 
much higher risk of cancers of that area where they touch. Um, so that's another big risk and another good reason to always get a good oral exam, which again, a, a dental provider is a very good place to start with that. Um, but if you're noticing something kind of lumpy or bumpy or changing in your mouth, that's worthy of getting checked out if, if you do use smokeless tobacco or if you have been a heavy user in the past. Okay. Mm-hmm. How is cancer of the mouth treated? Yeah, so it, it depends a lot on sort of the staging and the location. The, you know, cancer here is particularly difficult just because we need our mouths and our throats to eat and drink and live. Mm-hmm. And so usually the the problems that come up with treatment have to do entirely with that. Um, so Chemotherapy and radiation and surgery are used sometimes in combination and again, depending on the location and how deep or if there's any spread to the cancer at the time of diagnosis. Um, but often those things can result in problems with swallowing. And so it's it's really common for people who get these types of cancers treated at least temporarily to require tube a, a feeding tube mm. um, just because they might get too much pain or swelling in the mouth and throat to adequately keep nutrition and get getting nutrition in so it's it's not a it's not a fun thing to go through um, if you can help it so so if you want to quit using smokeless yeah. tobacco, what do you recommend? I So this, the the addiction to smokeless tobacco is very similar to the addiction to cigarettes. It's nicotine. So um, it, it's a nicotine addiction. And so you can use all the same tools that we use for quitting smoking, nicotine replacement therapy, gum over the counter or patches or whatever. Um, or, you know, in theory, things like Varenicline or Chantix would work similarly for this. Um, but it, And it's also the same behavioral stuff. There's a lot of habit that goes along with this and a, a lot of sort of psychologic stuff in, into quitting. So if you're struggling with it, you, you know, your, your physician or primary care provider probably has similar tools that we can offer to people that are trying to quit smoking. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. We are living in a stressful time as we deal with the global pandemic. The following are some tips to help your emotional health. Fuel your body by eating a healthy, well-balanced diet and drinking plenty of water. Aim to get seven to eight hours of sleep each night. Exercise every day. Take deep breaths and stretch often. Avoid risky or destructive behaviors such as abusing alcohol or drugs, excessive gambling, or ignoring public health recommendations. Spend time outside, such as going for a walk in a park, but follow social distancing guidelines. If you feel overwhelmed by the emotional pressures, reach out to family, friends, or your medical provider. This tip is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. We had a call come in, Dr. Evans, mm-hmm. and the caller is over 60 with hypertension and takes baby aspirin 
per their doctor's recommendation. Mm -hmm. Now there's news that they may not need to be taking it. Please comment on yeah. that. So you're right. There, I've, I've seen this in the lay media again recently, and we this was something that came into the lay media maybe a year or two ago as well, which I think is good for us to revisit some of this old wisdom that maybe is being challenged by new data. So um, that baby aspirin a day has been kind of dogma for a lot of people going back, you know, a couple of decades about prevention of cardiovascular disease or reduction of cardiovascular risk. So reducing your risk of heart attacks and strokes. Um, and it's sensible. Certainly we use aspirin in people who have had one of those things long term. Um, but it's been called into question what is really the risk benefit ratio because it turns out that taking an aspirin a day doesn't have zero risk. Mm. The big risk being bleeding in the GI tract is sort of the, the big one that comes to mind. And that can sometimes result in hospitalization and, and that kind of thing. So the some newer data has suggested that we probably the risk benefit ratio isn't good for patients for whom we are using this in primary prevention. So what that means is that in someone who has never had evidence of a heart attack or stroke or the things that lead to that. So mm -hmm. plaques in the coronary arteries, plaques in the carotid arteries, um, or other blood vessel diseases. So if this caller truly their only diagnosis is hypertension, they've never been found to have coronary artery stenosis or plaques or or excuse me, carotid artery stenosis, plaques in the carotid arteries, or coronary artery disease, or been thought to have angina or some other um, evidence of plaque in the vessels, then maybe doing a preventive aspirin a day actually isn't a high benefit, um, risk-free thing to do. And so I think worth revisiting that with your doctor. Now, sometimes we there are people that maybe we've found these things on accident. You know, maybe a person has a CAT scan of their neck or an MRI of their neck and we see that they do have carotid artery disease. It's never caused them problems and maybe the patient might not really know or remember that because it's never affected them. But for that reason, we do recommend that they stay on their aspirin because they might be at higher lifetime risk of a stroke or something like that. So talk to your doctor who knows you well. But I think revisiting that conversation about aspirin for everyone is really valid. What does the aspirin do? Why yeah. are we taking it? Yeah, so aspirin works by keeping platelets from sticking together. And platelets are kind of a type of blood cell, a, t a tiny blood cell that really uh, contributes to clotting, blood clotting. And so when people do have what we call acute thrombotic events, meaning acute clots that result in strokes and heart attacks, the most common mechanism involves platelets. That's not the only factor involved, but um, preventing that part of the, the clotting cascade per se can reduce the risk of having a full occlusion of an artery that leads to one of those bad events. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that question, caller. Yeah, yeah great question. Um, Dr. Evans, I wanted to go back to your essay for a moment where you talk about HPV yeah. um, causing many oral head and neck cancers yeah. as well. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so HPV or human papillomavirus, we've long known that this is... So I say a virus, but there are many, um, many different subtypes of HPV. Mm. But we all we always know that these are involved in warts of all kinds um, and also cervical cancer. So we know that's become pretty common knowledge that that's associated with cervical cancer. It's the reason we do pap smears in women. Almost all cervical cancers are linked to these high risk types of HPV. Well, it turns out that all a high percentage of these 
head and neck cancers, as we call them. So cancers of the mouth, the throat, the vocal cords um, also have HPV positivity. And so there's some correlation there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it's maybe less percentage wise strong as cervical cancer, but it's an it's another consideration when we're talking about HPV vaccination and something that's readily available for for people, um, especially younger people. Um, HPV presents risk of these um, genitourinary cancers that we know of, but it is highly associated with these types of cancers as well. Who qualifies or benefits from the vaccine? Yeah, so um, historically, the the vaccine initially was only approved for adolescents and young adults. So um, I think the age group, and you have to forgive me because I don't take care of kids, Laura, so I'm rusty on this, but it was either 11 or 12 up to 26 was the historic approval. And that's just because that's the people to maximum benefit. It's there. It it catches them early enough in life that it's kind of before we expect most people to have encountered HPV. Now they've extended that. So it's actually approved, I think up to age 45 now, Mm -hmm. um, meaning your insurance might cover it better. that, you know, I have people who have gotten HPV vaccine when they were not in the approved age group. I for example, I have a, uh, I know someone who's a dermatologist who decided to get vaccinated later than that age, um, just because uh, when we were young, uh, this wasn't av- right. an available vaccine. So, I, you know, I never got this vaccine as an adolescent, but she encounters these this virus so commonly that um, decided to get it later in life. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's it's a usually a three dose series, I believe. But you know, if your if your kid's doctor asks you about it, it's it's a good thing to do. You know, it's a good thing to be able to prevent if you're able to. Are we seeing dramatic changes in the number of cases due to the vaccine? Um, You know, I think that would be a hard thing to measure just because this is not a particularly common type of cancer. Okay. Now, um, it would be harder yet to measure the impact on cervical cancer, partly because pap smears, even before we had the HPV vaccine, pap smears resulted in a dramatically lower rate of bad cervical cancer. Um, But we're probably going to see less people with precancers and and needing treatment for those precancers over time um, if we can get rid of or get lower rates of HPV. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Hospice is medical care designed to maximize comfort and quality of life for patients facing terminal illnesses. Hospice provides pain management, emotional support, help with family care, and spiritual care to the patient and their family when a cure is not possible. Brookings Health System employs a caring team of professionals and volunteers sensitive to the changing needs of patients and family members during this difficult time. To find out more about hospice in the Brookings, South Dakota area, call 696-9000 or talk with your primary care provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. 
Our Prairie Doc topic today is ear, nose, and throat. So we've been talking some about that. And Dr. Evans, I want to talk about hearing loss. Mm -hmm. Why do people lose their hearing? Yeah. So hearing loss is very, very common. So there's, I would say there's a certain amount of normal hearing loss that typically occurs with aging. And the the common thing that we see is what we call high frequency hearing loss. And so that's usually higher pitches that people start to lose first. So you'll find um, that if if you have a a higher kind of softer pitched voice that a room full of people might hear you less as as that room full of people gets older mm-hmm. um, compared to lower um, pitched sounds. So that's really common is the first thing. So there's certainly no shame in addressing it if you have it. Um, sure. we, you know, mo- most people have some degree of hearing loss if they have the benefit of getting old enough. Um, other people might lose hearing early or have different patterns of hearing loss for a couple of reasons. One can be mechanical injury to the ear, which is kind of a separate problem. If you have a tympanic membrane or an eardrum that busts because of a bad infection or because of a traumatic event or something like that, that would be a separate issue. There's certainly congenital reasons for hearing loss or people being born with conditions that cause hearing loss. But another common reason would be just bad noise exposure. So if you have an occupation that exposes you to loud noises, which is why most of those occupations are sort of required to recommend and provide hearing protection. And this is just my plug. If you have one of those jobs, wear your hearing protection. You'll be glad you did at some point in your life. The other common things we see around here, um, things like firearms. So if you Mm -hmm. do a lot of shooting firearms, wear that hearing protection because people will have a lot of, can have hearing loss or certainly ringing in the ears if they have a lot of that noise exposure without protection. Okay. Yeah. What happens during a hearing test? Mm, so I I would encourage you to tune into the show tomorrow because mm-hmm. we actually will have a demonstration of a hearing test oh. um, mm-hmm. in which... Um, because technology has kind of evolved. So even if you had it done 10 years ago, it might look a little different today. But they test sort of, like I said, different frequencies to diagnose exact pattern of hearing loss just because it it can reflect different things and maybe um, show benefit from different types of treatment for that. Um, But an audiologist is the person who does that. And um, so they're, you know, even in small communities, audiologists are pretty readily accessible to do this hearing testing. Um, I think the the problem that most of my patients have with addressing hearing loss as a couple, one is kind of stigma, like they don't want to, they just don't want to sort of admit that it's a problem or they don't want to wear a hearing aid if they find that they need it. Um, I think that's becoming less and less. I mean, hearing aids are not what they used to be. They're pretty right. discreet in a lot of ways. And, and um, you know, th- that's why I also just say that it's so common. So there's really n- no shame in having admitted that you have hearing loss and, and treating it. But the other is they can be costly and most people don't have any coverage for this or paying out of pocket. And so sometimes that's a real barrier for people. And there's a range of options of cost as well. So um, but it's worth exploring just to see what your options are, because quality of life, you know, you miss a lot if you're not Mm -hmm. hearing things. And um, especially if you're in a busy restaurant, it's hard to hear conversation over the over the noise when you have a little bit of hearing loss. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it seems like perhaps finding the right hearing aid can be a tricky yeah. process too. For yeah. I mean, I think just with depending on sort of comfort and preference mm-hmm. of, of how they fit is is part of it. Um, and, and making sure you have one that's going to treat your, your problem and do a good job for you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. My college roommate in um, 
when I was at Augustana, my college roommate had hearing loss mm-hmm. and she got new hearing aids while she was there and how exciting that was to kind of move up and move right. to new technology for her. Right. And probably just as far as comfort and, yeah. and like I said, how how visible or hidden they are has changed a lot. And, and probably the function of them has improved, I'm sure, over the years, too. So it was interesting. We had... Um, a room that had a flashing light in it mm. for uh, in the case of a fire sure. alarm. Yeah. So because she may not hear the alarm. So when the fire alarm went off for us, um, the whole room would light up. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, okay, we got to get out of here. Yeah, and that's so, the other thing of hearing loss is yeah. remembering that sometimes those adaptive things are needed, you mm-hmm. know, if, if the hearing loss is severe enough communication you know we find that in the in the setting of using masks in the clinic sometimes communication is really hard for Mm. people who have adapted by reading lips and stuff like that so being cognizant of the things that those people need is important yes yeah well before we go please be sure to tune in to south dakota public broadcasting television and the prairie doc facebook page for on call with the prairie doc most thursdays starting at 7 p.m central This week on Thursday, April 28th, Prairie Doc Kelly Evans and Dr. Thomas Temera will answer viewer questions about ear, nose, and throat-related illnesses and treatments. Watch the full episode this Thursday at 7 p.m. Central on South Dakota Public Broadcasting or on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people. <laughs>